The circular economy is an economic system that targets... Hi there. This is Circumcenter. A series of stimulating dialogues on the circular economy. We conduct interviews with passionate leaders in industries from fashion to food, from architecture to cryptocurrencies, who actively shape the future of the circular economy. With these interviews, we want to deep dive into the core of our decisions in life, business and the future. We have a mission to encourage you to embrace circularity in your daily life. Because change starts with your decisions. Right now. Welcome to the Circum Center. Today's topic is the textile industry, one of the worst polluters in the world, if not the biggest. However, its destiny only depends on a change in the economic system. Despite the challenges, change is fundamentally a matter of intention. Meet Dr. Sadef Unju Akı. She's one of the circular economy leaders working for Orta, a leading denim manufacturer providing fabric for globally known fashion brands. In this episode, we're deep diving into the center of her decisions. Let's hear from Sedef, how she turns Orta into a more sustainable producer by embracing the circular economy in their production and her commitment to sustainability. Hi, Sedef. Welcome to Circum Center. This is, you know, this is a great honor to host you in our program. And we're so curious about to learn what's in the center of Sedef and what, what do you aspire for, what do you take seriously in your daily and personal and professional decisions in, in life and business. Welcome again. I would like to start with a question from your personal life, from your backgrounds. Uh, mm-hmm. When we look at your career, work, and lifestyle, we can see that you are committed to a more sustainable life as a person, not only as a professional. Um, and you, as far as we know, you raise your children with this awareness and teach them these values as well. Where does these commitments come from? Well, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, having me here, it's also a great honor for me to be with you and share my experience with you. Um, I've been working in this industry for almost 20 years now. And at the beginning of my career, I was more into strategic management, planning, those types of basically project-based work. And during those times, I was continuously researching, reading reports, trends, analyzing competitors, creating strategies accordingly, etc. And of course, sustainability in that sense started to appear in the trends after a while. And I remember the day that they wanted me to uh, make a presentation about sustainability. And I prepared really an extensive presentation, what people are doing as a brand, et cetera. During those days, not all of the people were talking about it. So it was really precious to find different brands, what they're doing. So um, then they said, said, is this a buzzword? Is it going to stay or is it going to just really go away like other buzzwords that marketing continuously generates in the system? 
So I said, no, that's 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 not a buzzword. That's not a trend even. Uh, that that should stay because I mean, for the sake of uh, Mother Earth and nature, for us, for our children, in the definition, the the children or like the next generation was also involved, which was really precious during those days. So we talked about it, and gradually we improved, uh, and then we started talking about circularity and other also uh, pillars under sustainability. Sustainability. And after really researching this much and spending time in my professional life, uh, as a professional, it really blend into my personal life as well, because all the data uh, and the figures that uh, has been shared were really striking about the, it is still striking, <laughs> I shouldn't say word, uh, about what's going to happen in the future. So uh, then I started as a lifestyle. Uh, it wasn't like a, a one point after a while I decided to do that, but it was just like a process in my uh, life and for my children as well. Uh, I've been carrying out this lifestyle for a very long time, I should say. Uh, in my personal life, I, I started running. I'm running half marathons and full marathons, and I'm uh, really collecting donations for several charities uh, here in Turkey. And at some point, after I realized how big the impact of the animal uh, food products, I uh, began just uh, eating plant-based food, uh, going, I shouldn't say vegan, like in every direction, but especially for, uh, for the food industry after seeing the impact that they are creating. It's even higher than fashion industry that I am working in. So I said, I need to be sincere if I'm really supporting this a lot in my personal career, I should do the same for my uh, personal life as well. So I stopped eating animal products. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's the story. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing to, to to hear that. And also, like, I I wonder, like, what is how how is your communication with your daughters, and like, what do you what do you tell them um, about? how to live or like, you know, what would be the best way to live their life in the future? Well, it happened step by step again. Uh, what happened is they, the awareness of recycling was really high. So we created a recycle bin in-house and we started to put everything that can be recyclable. Um, actually, our um, sustainability expert at Orta Sebla really mentions that the ones that we know or like we think the packages that are recyclable are not really recyclable. So we definitely need also a training about that as a as a community, I should say. But like, I mean, for uh, the, the for as far as we know, let me put it that way, we started to recycle with the kids. And then when we saw how big the recycle bin is, we said, okay, how can we reduce these packages? Because there are a lot of packages that you just tear up, put down, and then throw away in the recycle bin. And then we started to use like containers, mugs, water bottles, I mean, the usual stuff that are really communicating around right now. So they got this like uh, idea. Then we started to read labels. 
uh, what's inside and also the signs on the on the things that we buy and make the selections accordingly but the main idea i really would like to convey to my children is to really buy based on uh, needs not desires I mean, do you need another T-shirt? Do you need another jean? That's the main question I ask them first. And if they say yes, then we decide from where to buy. If they really want a jean with a very competitive price, then I really talk about the social part of production. If that jean is really that cheap, should we think about something else because there is a true cost in it about that jean? And I'm really happy when they ask me, mom, is there any like thrift shop in Istanbul that we can go and buy stuff? So uh, then I thought, yeah, that's the right direction <laughs> that they are now thinking and they are going and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> This is, this is also great advice for um, parents who are raising their children at the moment. So it's like, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing um, your teachings with us. Um, now I'm going to jump into another question and say, um, like, you know, in your daily life or in your you know daily choices and decisions that you make, do you have an approach or method to make um, more holistic, you know, to make your decision more holistic in your daily life? That's a... Uh, what I could say. Holistic meaning, um, when I think about clothes, I think I can say, please use your clothes longer. Uh, it really makes huge difference. There is a statistics that I would like to share here with you. Like if you use your garments three times longer, its carbon footprint decreases by 65% and its water usage decreases by 66%, which is huge. Just three times longer, meaning like if you use it and just give it to somebody else, like in two years, if you can extend it to six years or like 10 years, then it makes a huge difference. Please don't really buy or like, if you can just stop that urge inside you to stop buy a new one, if you already have the old one with the memories that you have with the clothes, those are really valuable. So use your clothes longer. <laughs> That's great. And um, we, when we were doing research, we've we seen that you had a book published um, during your you know your PhD thesis, I guess, yeah. uh, which was called Customized International Investment Decisions. And this is um, very relevant to our project here too, because we are trying to find uh, or you know explore the center of people's decisions. And in this book, it looks like you have been looking into um, investment decisions of corporate companies. What made you you know write this book or why it, what was the central force that was leading you towards um, researching this topic? Well, I'm a textile engineer from uh, Istanbul Technical University, and, and then I did an MBA on top of it at Boğaziçi University. Then I said, well, I love textiles, I love management, I need to combine both, and I did my PhD in the States about textile technology and management. So when I first went there, it was 2000, and during those times, China was the only answer for all the plant location decisions or like investment decisions. And I was shocked by that. Everybody around me was talking how cheap the labor in China was. 
And then I thought that this doesn't make any sense because it needs to be based on your strategy, based on your product strategy. Even if your strategy is even like cost leadership, you still need to calculate the whole cost, like the total cost of manufacturing, not only the labor cost of manufacturing. So that's why I said, let's let's analyze this. Why do people close down the factories in Mexico and they would like to relocate their factories to China just for the sake of low labor cost? Is it true? Is it the right way to go? What are other criteria that they need to look into? Uh, that I created a model based on company strategies. Uh, the model shows you which direction to go, let me put it that way in a very simple terms. So uh, yeah, that's why I said customized, because all the decisions needs to be customized to your company's strategy. There isn't one single right uh, answer for all the companies. That's what I believe. That's great. And also, like, did you have um, feedback about from the community uh, about the book or did this, you know, well, during the book, I did also a, a work with um, uh, the States company in Atlanta. I went there, stayed there for a month. I create, I put that model into their system uh, for them to decide uh, about their global sourcing strategy, which product from where to buy based on the criteria list that I have, which was quite a good experience for me, actually. And then after that... Uh, Somebody just emailed me and I thought that was a spam email and they said they want to publish my thesis <laughs> and said that I said, okay, you can publish the thesis and now you can reach my book via Amazon.com or like BarnesandNoble.com, like those platforms, you can find my book. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish somebody uh, offered to publish my, my book as well. That's, <laughs> that's great. That means it's it's been successful. Um, thank you for your answers in the first chapter, um, Sedef. This was really inspiring um, in your personal journey. Now we're going to go into the um, second part of our interview, which is going to focus on your industry and your business and you as a decision maker in this area. Um, first, I would like to start with the, what is the denim industry's role in preventing climate change? Um, well, Denim specifically in the textile sector has always been a front runner in innovation or like in advanced technologies. Uh, when you look into uh, the, the whole sector, I should say. Um, although we have really a bad reputation, when you uh, look at the pictures or like the videos uh, on internet, when people talk about unsustainable practices, you always see denim manufacturing and rivers with blue <laughs> color on it, again blaming the denim industry, I believe. Many manufacturers, I should say, not only the Turkish manufacturers, but also other manufacturers around the world, really putting effort uh, to reduce their overall environmental impact using low impact fibers, uh, lowering their energy usage or like alternative energy investments, uh, lowering their water usage. Uh, they are really taking action in that sense. So I should say Denim is a pioneer as a sector. Uh, when you consider the overall textile sector. 
So let's focus on your your company, Orta. Uh, what is Orta doing to enable a circular economy within the denim industry? Well, we do many things, actually. <laughs> let's start from the raw material. Uh for the raw material, we are really doing a lot of collaborations uh, to really uh, address uh, from where we're buying fibers, not only cotton, but the overall fiber agenda or like the map that we have. I can say as an example, for example, during the start of Better Cotton Initiative in the world, uh, our cotton director was a part of that initiative. And once they decided to form a platform or like an organization in Turkey, our cotton director really managed that and served as the board of directors for a while. So we really value from where we're buying our raw material as a first step, let me put it that way. Uh, then we really are after efficient waste management. We would like to minimize our waste uh, to start with. How can we do that? How can we reduce our uh, second quality ratio? Or how can we reduce our overall inventory? Not to create any waste. That's the main uh, point. As the second point, Okay, waste is there, not only the fiber waste, but we also have a lot of different waste. We do have a waste map in-house. And how can we recycle those? Uh, we are continuously doing brainstorming in the factory, how we can reuse inside uh, before sending it to recycling facilities. That's the second part that I can share. Of course, for the fiber part, we would like to reuse waste as a raw material in the system. And we have started using pre and post consumer waste as Orta at the beginning of 2017. And from there, we are putting uh, pre and post consumer recycled cotton fiber in our products. But here we, we always value our high quality standard, good performance of the fabric, and also uh, the long-lasting characteristic of the fabric. Uh, we are always scrutinizing those three uh, properties of the fabric uh, uh, in addition to using uh, waste as a raw material. Uh, recently, we have done a collaboration with a Turkish recycling facility called Gama. What we're doing is we are sending our pre-consumer waste to them. They are opening that waste uh, and cleaning them up and sending them uh, back to us as a fiber, cotton fiber. So this is a local uh, circularity initiative uh, between Gamma and us. We also value this project a lot. And since Gamma is also located in Turkey, the overall carbon footprint of the operation is also really minimal. Instead of sending it away uh, abroad, we are in Turkey, a very minimal carbon footprint. We are trying to uh, circulate our waste in the system. Let me put it that way. Uh, so it is really important for us to create a circularity ecosystem within our community. That's the main uh, point. That's really inspiring. And um, in the last few years, I mean, you as Orta and you as a person um, have been working on circular economy and the sustainability for long, long years. 
Um, in the last few years, you've been a member of the Turkey Circular Economy Platform as well. Um, can you tell us a bit about how your relationship has been with the um, Circular Economy Platform? Well, Circular Economy Platform has been a great supporter of our circularity practices. Uh, we've taken uh, trainings from them. Uh, that was really valuable for us because not only about textile sector, but also what other sectors are doing in terms of circularity was really an important uh, data for us uh, or like innovation point for us to see what other industries are doing. Uh, and it's a quite good information for our brainstorming ses sessions that I mentioned to you that we're doing in-house, how we can really circulate the other waste materials as well. Uh, so it's a, it's a greatly valued relationship with them. And we know, we, we always share our best practices with them. And uh, in their reports, we work continuously together. And it's a great effort also for them to support uh, the companies which are at the early stage of this journey in terms of circularity. So that's great. It's, it's, it's good, to, good to know that uh, there's been an increasing efforts in terms of transforming other businesses um, into circular economy with the help of a circular economy platform. And in your company, um, and also like for the denim industry mostly, what, why are traceability and transparency important? Um, what does this mean for you at Orta? Well, to start with, it is really important to talk about the real scope of transparency. What is transparency? It isn't just using a label saying like ethically produced or sustainably sourced or just showing one picture of a manufacturing facility that is that the fabric or the garment has been produced. So the scope is really bigger than that. And the system should definitely need to understand that the, that scope starts from the very beginning of the supply chain till the end where the garment or the cloth meets with the consumer. That's really important. So at Orta, we would like to see Transparency, again, as an ecosystem, we have three pillars here, three T's, transparency, traceability, and touch, touch meaning the human touch, the people inside it. Um, from the early stages, from the very beginning, Orta has been always sharing the resources, the knowledge with the customers or like anybody else in our like stakeholders or community who is asking for. We, we have a guest house in-house in the production facility that they can stay there and 24-7 they can visit the factory. They can see how we are really operating. And I think that's really great. We are that open from the very beginning. And what we, we have done recently is we created a supplier map and there is a platform as our sustainability platform called Orta Blue. You can enter it via ortablue.org and you can see our supplier map there. Uh, so where do we source our cotton from or where do we source our dye stuff from? Like in terms of um, countries, you can click the chemical or you can click the dye stuff or like the indigo and see from where we're buying uh, these raw materials from. I think that's really important in terms of transparency. 
And as the next step of transparency, uh, we believe that we should definitely need to talk with numbers, not just like one picture or like, as I told you, like two pictures, people like cutting fabrics or like dyeing the fabrics. So for that, we invested in a life cycle assessment tool. And we've been using more than four years right now. What we're doing here is we are basically taking the fabric from the cradle, meaning from the raw material, till our gate. We are calculating the overall environmental impact of every step that we're taking in the production of that fabric. And we have selected five impact categories. I can share like two of them, the easier ones. The rest I can share later if you really would like to learn more. But carbon dioxide footprint and water usage are the, the two like of them that everybody can understand really easily. Why we do that? Because yes, we can share with you the amount of water that we've used during the production, but this is very limited because the amount of chemical or like the amount of water, the chemical that we are using in the production is really important. So I'm buying this chemical. Do I know how much water has been used in the production of that chemical? Or do I know how much water has been used in the production of the, the dye stuff that I'm uh, supplying to dye this fabric? All of them also has an impact on the environment. And this has been created because of me, because I am demanding to buy that chemical. I am demanding to buy that raw material. So what we're doing is basically we are simulating our own operations in the system. Uh, that's our primary data source. There is also a secondary data source, uh, a database called EcoInvent we are using. And we are selecting the, chemi the, the chemical data or like the dye stuff data from there. And sometimes our sustainability expert contacts with the suppliers and asks specific uh, environmental data that they use or like they create during the production of a, a specific fiber, for example, that we are using. So we collect all the data in that sense, plus we put our whole production process, our recipes, how much water we use, energy we use, energy resources. So at the very end, we calculate the whole impact of the product, each and every garment. And this is the real transparency. We can give you the data with a QR code on the fabric. Once you scan the QR code, you will see, okay, so there is a standard denim that creates that much of an impact. But if you choose this fabric, here is the reduction in water usage. Here is the reduction in carbon dioxide footprint. So that's how it works. And our dream is actually to really be able to uh, convey that QR code to consumers via brands and retailers. We really would like to see those QR codes on each and every garment that we shop uh, from the stores so that like the consumer can go there scan the QR code and see the difference. It's a little bit complicated because there isn't one standard 
that you can compare the data that the fab that the factory is generated. So it's it's a little bit delicate, but I think it's better than nothing because it's it's a process. We should start from somewhere, and then step by step we can really make it really sensitive. Trying to reach the right data at the very end. This is a process, but it's really important to start from somewhere to avoid all the greenwashing that we have in the system right now. <laughs> and it's great that it's a self-started initiative, so it's not been enforced by a government or an institution. It's been self-started, so that's also um, amazing and very uh, you know we need to appreciate this kind of efforts. It's really amazing. Can you tell us, like, what did you learn from life cycle assessments? How did it help you make better decisions in your um, production, in your in your business? That's a good question. And, uh, because, um, okay, the data generation is important, but the, another aspect of using life cycle is you also see your hotspots. For example, oh, so my energy hotspot is in spinning. I need to do something there to reduce the energy usage. Or like the other hotspot is in like somewhere else based on the different fabrics. So this gives us a map that we can work on. One step ahead, this also gives us a tool that designers can use before even producing the product because their selection is everything. They make all the impact. Believe me or not, their selection, how do they really would like to see the fabric really creates the whole impact in the system. And with this tool in our hands, we gave this to our product developers at first, really to make them play. If you put this much amount of, if you put organic cotton, what's going to happen? Uh, Fiber really has a higher impact in the overall calculation. That's what we definitely know. Uh, but for example, what's happening again here is in terms of recycling, our PD created a term called golden ratio. Why? Because the amount of recycled material usage in the, in the fabric is really important. Once we use recycled content, we know that the spinning efficiency decreases, which means there is a higher impact in terms of energy in the overall production. But then when you look at from the fiber cultivation point of view, let's say once you increase the amount of recycled fiber usage 20%, you will not be using 20% virgin cotton. So that impact really creates, for example, from 450 to 750 liters of water usage in general, based on, of course, the weight of the fabric, uh, it may decrease. So these data all comes from the LCA that we have. So once you give it to the product development team, they say, okay, for this fabric in this weight, it makes sense to put this amount of recycled content in the fabric, again, to keep the high quality, high performance, long lasting attributes of the fabric. That's a must for us. We don't never, we never forget that. But again, I mean, then they can make a good decision what to do 
what amount to use. At some point we said, okay, let's share this, this information with, with all the designers in the brands and retailers. We accumulated a lot of data. I'm talking about like four years, each and every fabric we produced, we calculated an LCA data. And we said, okay, let's review this data and create an app for the designers, saying that step-by-step step, each decision that they make, if it's uh, like the weight, for example, if it's a lighter weight, a heavier weight, or if it's an indigo diet, black diet, or if it's a coated fabric, not coated fabric, kind of like decisions, we put and we have created an app uh, you can download it uh, from Google Play and App Store. That was really nice for us. We said, wow, that's a great tool. But at the end, we realized that nobody is using that. Then we said, oh, so this is a very scientific or like engineered based point of view. We definitely need to ask the designers how they think. It, I mean, they are really thinking much more complicated than us. So the Orta Blue app 2.0, we will planning to generate again, considering all the designer input, that's that's the next plan. <laughs> And that's that's very interesting because um, the the research says um, eighty percent of a product's environmental impact can be prevented during the design stage. In that sense, the designer's role is highly important. Not only the manufacturer, not only the uh, the production line, not only the raw material, but designer's role and the choices they make is crucially important in the environmental impact of a product. And this effort is really meaningful, but it's also like uh, showing that there there was a failure exactly. in that um, in, in creating because it's a really valuable tool for designers to make better decisions for their designs and design decisions. And where where did you think what where did you think that you failed with this app, and what, how are you gonna um, improve it for point two? Um, first of all, I think it needs to be sexier than, than the, the thing that we have created uh, because, I mean, it's not self-explanatory. Somebody needs to explain. Uh, so if you choose this, you can see this result kind of like explanation right now the app needs. So we need to find a way that they can really get it and then they can play with it and then understand what's really happening there. I think that's important. The second thing is, as I told you, again, our way of thinking as like engineers, it isn't the same with the designers. We need to really grasp what is important to them or what is their uh, design making decision? How do they do the decision making? Uh, we need to grasp it first and then modify it. The data will remain the same, believe me. <laughs> the data behind it will remain the same, but to show them in a way that they can use it wisely, I think we need to work more on that. And it could be maybe your second book, like, you know, um, oh, Design Decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> so, um, what do you think are the main challenges um, you as a, as a company focus on to enable a circular economy within the denim industry? Well, the main challenge in embedding circularity in the denim industry is basically 
I think the, the, the waste collection system. Um, because unfortunately, we know uh, that only 1% of the overall fiber produced in the world can be re is recycled right now, which is very, very low when you consider the amount of um, garments that you produce yearly, like annually. So it's very striking. We definitely need to find a way to get uh, textiles out of the trash bins uh, and uh, find a way to really gain or like regain into the production system as a raw material. And here also another challenge occurs because there are two or like three ways of textile recycling. The first one is mechanical recycling. In that mechanical recycling, it's simply taking the garment, taking the metal parts out, uh, cutting them into small pieces, and then shredding and taking the fiber out of it, and then combing the fiber and again, uh, getting as bale of fiber, like either post or pre-consumer fiber at the very end. There is a limitation in that because only up to um, either 100% uh, cotton or up to 98% cotton plus, let's say, 2% elastane combination of garments can be recycled in that way. Because the rest, you need to really separate different fibers from, from the garments, and that's not possible mechanically. And believe me, we as consumers are consuming a lot of varieties with a lot of polyester in it, tensile in it, like other types of really different fibers we do have in the, in the system. So that's why the, the system is talking about monomaterials. If the design designs only having monomaterial in mind, then it can be recycled in the system, which is really logical, by the way. But it is also important the, for example, the sewing uh, thread uh, in the garment is also important because that's polyester as well. We don't want to have any other fiber in the mechanical recycling that can generate a big mess uh, afterwards when you just get that fiber and uh, start to use it as a raw material. So that monomaterial issue is a must for mechanical recycling, but for us, Everybody is talking about that, uh, but in in this new in this century, we think that we need to find a new wave wave of design thinking. Uh, I'm not talking about. I mean, if you can, it's better to use a monomaterial, but that's not logical because we have a lot of blends in the system so far. So we need to find another way. To, to really recycle the waste that we collect. Another way is a chemical recycling. And now there are several startups that, that can do this with a biological recycling through fermentation processes, etc. I'm not an expert on that, but I am very excited about biological recycling. The main idea is basically taking the cellulose out of the garments. Sometimes they also take the polyester out of the garments as well. Uh, very exciting because it's, it's a way to really get everything that we have 
putting into the system and separating the fibers out of the garments and being able to spin either a viscose or a lyocell uh, yarn at the very end is very exciting. But the scale is still at the startup level right now, but they will grow. Uh, we, we've done a project with RenewCell and Levi's uh, as an example. And this this will definitely grow, and we are a big supporter of that too. Can you can you maybe tell us about uh, that project that you did with Levi's? Well, they wanted us to use the the Renew Cell product. Renew Cell again uh, uses uh, the garments, and they they take chemically the cellulose out of it, and they spin a viscose out of this waste, which is really really effective. Uh, we got that uh, fiber and we produced a fabric for Levi's uh, for their shops. That was the main project. And it, it, it was a really uh, a very well appreciated project at the, at the very end. They, they, they were all everywhere because it was an innovation, a new kind of recycling technology. Uh, and we were a part of it. That's that's very inspiring and also very um, hopeful that the students and uh, the new generation is working on these issues and there's hope for a circular economy in the future. Um, so let's focus on Orta and in 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 a, you know, in a nutshell, how can we say like what is in the center of Orta as a business? Um, well, in, after the pandemic. I should say a resilient system uh, that we definitely are creating. And we have decided to abandon or like refuse the growth culture. And we would like to more focus on the value-added, long-lasting, good quality products. And we are redefining the definition of value in that sense. It's not just the economic value that we create. Even in the definition of sustainability, there are three pillars, economic, environmental, and social. So we as a company also need to take into account all three pillars, economic, social, and environmental, uh, which is really important. So the health and well-being of Orta family and also other stakeholders around us are also really important. So with these three pillars in our uh, backbone of the strategy, uh, we are now uh, working uh, with that system, I should say. That's that's very straightforward and understandable. It's um, very inclusive as, as well. So it's not only focusing on one pillar, but also um, covering on a broader range. Um, thank you, Sedef. This was very interesting answers and it was also very inspiring, uh, not only for me, but I believe for the um, general industry designers, uh, other stakeholders in the industry. Um, I hope there's an inspiration for everyone in this conversation. Um, and we're going to end it here for the industry questions and we're going to go into the third section or the third circle of your circumcenter um, that your thoughts about the future. Um, my first question is going to be, as a professional with years of experience in this field, what would you first advise brands and companies and businesses who want to transform their production towards a circular economy? Um, good question. We 
really believe here in sincerity of actions. We believe that you shouldn't use just for the sake of using the word circularity on a label, on a product. You should really have to look into a bigger picture in that sense. How can you incorporate the circular uh, practices uh, into your operations? Here you can start from anywhere, it doesn't matter. The main idea here is you need to start from somewhere and you need to select one part and you need to stick with that and continuously improve and expand your view of circularity in that sense. So for example, creating just one product uh, with 100% recycled material is one thing, but is it durable enough? Is it long lasting enough? How is the quality of the fabric or the garment or the gin that you have produced? These are also uh, the questions that you should ask right next to your circularity questions. So here we believe, you can increase your impact, environmental impact, for example, if you use 5% or like 10% of recycled content in overall of your production. That's the main thing. You need to increase your total impact uh, in circularity uh, with, with this way of looking into that uh, concept. And also you need to consider your waste system, your hotspots, you need to use your waste efficiently. And also at the beginning, you need to use your resources efficiently. The, the first aim is uh, not to create waste. Then you need to minimize waste. That's the second part, that's important. Uh, so putting circularity at the heart of your operations and to start from somewhere, is the, the, the main thing that I can suggest. And you meant with um, having one product with 100% recyclable material uh, might not be as big as an impact um, of including 5 or 10% of recycled material in overall production might be bigger than that. Is that, that what is you true, meant? Because let's say you have produced one product 100% recycled and this is only your... Uh, when you think about your overall uh, portfolio of products, this may be a capsule collection that you put on the shops. But the main production is the rest. Uh, the amount that you sell most are like the other parts of your collection. Okay, you have one product, one capsule collection, but let's say that's the only 5% of the revenue or like number of items that you have sold so far. So when you consider the overall production or like overall item, number of items that you have sold as a brand, it's important to increase the recycled content in the overall production. That creates a higher impact rather than having one capsule collection, having a big sticker or like label on it saying that this is 100% circular. Uh, it's not only the product, the system itself, the company itself also needs to think that way. That's really important. And that is, as you said at the beginning, the sincerity of action is at the center of the approach. Yeah. Um, so what do you see in the future for denim industry and its contribution to sustainability? 
Well, um, Denim really appears as a pioneer to create sustainable solutions, I believe in that to start with. Um, but as Orta, we believe in the power of startups in this century. We cannot do all the innovations in-house, that's impossible. So we need to create a, a system, a network, uh, that really feeds themselves and create that innovative culture mindset uh, to really serve circularity at the very end. We need the, the power of startups in that sense. And uh, I was really shocked when I saw, I don't know if you have seen the company Milo, um, it's a plant-based leather company, uh, let me put it that way. There was an article in, I think in New York Times or like Wall Street Journal, and I saw a picture that they said, it's our new way of manufacturing. And on that picture, there was just racks of mushrooms. Uh, it was shocking and very inspiring to me that for so many years, we are doing manufacturing with huge machinery. I don't know, like the long, the, the length of the machinery by machinery, like different steps of processes, etc., and the huge length that we cover to produce like one meter of fabric versus racks of mushrooms using biology and creating a surface from mushrooms, that, that's very exciting to me. So that's the future we need to go. That's very inspiring. I didn't know about that too. My next question is uh, what needs to change in the denim industry to create the most significant environmental impacts for the future? The mindset, of course. That's how I believe, the growth mindset. The bigger, the better. The more, the better. That's, that's the mindset. Uh, also, the, the economic GDP that we're talking about for countries as well. It's not only for the factories or like for the companies, but for the com countries that, uh, uh, as well. They always like rank themselves based on the GTP, GDP growth, for example. And it's, it's very out of fashion <laughs> or it should be out of fashion. Uh, for so many years, like the first industrialists created this. And there is a curve like the Kuznets curve. I don't know if you have seen it. Um, and they believe that as growth increases, uh, the system cleans up itself. And once you have seen the research, they said when you reach $8,000 GDP per capita, it will start to clean up itself. And when you really reflect it to today's uh, environment, it's equivalent to $17,000 per capita, which is huge. And it's, it's proven that it doesn't clean up itself. So we really shouldn't think in that way. We really need to sh we need to think in a balanced way with like, of course, economy is really important. I mean, that value, we're not non-profitable countries, companies. We, we want profit. That's, that's for sure. I'm not really disregarding that. But on next to it, we need to really consider the social value creation, the environmental, the cultural value creation, and it all needs to be in balance. We definitely need to, we need a new definition of value uh, for all of the companies in the world. That new 
Definition of value is really important in, in all parts of business and, and the culture, I believe. Um, that's very that's very right. And as you said, the industrial mindset has brought us to this point uh, because that's like a, as in infinite growth, as in infinite resources that we have. And we are thinking that the world is not going to last. And we are at this moment... Uh, things we are realizing that things are not infinite and there's an end to the resources and the supply chain that we could have and you were saying um, in our conversation that it could lead into um, overconsumption and overproduction yeah, in that regard as well yeah definitely this leads industry continuously to aiming for overproduction once you put growth uh, on the radar like as a goal in front of you you always want to produce more and also when it goes to the consumer you are really giving a lot of like into the system those garments, like overproduced garments, and uh, they are consuming more. So uh, we need to say, we need to stop. We need to say stop uh, to this system. Yes, that's for sure. There, there's no place for this in the in the yeah. future, as you say. So when we think about this, is in the industry level, and when we think about the consumer or like the the personal level. Uh, what is the biggest misconception that consumers have about sustainable denim or circular economy in the denim industry? Well, the misconception is basically the greenwashing, the, the, the sentences or like the proposed things that are written on the labels of the garments. Um, we know that a very few amount of them are true. And most of them are just for the sake of using those buzzwords on the label. And consumers, they don't have that training, maybe I should say, or like that knowledge uh, to really go behind uh, those sentences and research more if it is true or not. Uh, that That's really important. And they are not, I mean, I shouldn't say they aren't, but not most of them are on that stage yet. There are people really, really scrutinizing what's written on this. And they are, there are websites that are showing us the results of their research uh, about those brands. And there are people following those websites, but very few. So we need to really increase that amount uh, to really reduce the misconception in the system. To, to enable a circular economy in the future, what will be the most significant change that users can do in their shopping habits? Um, Fast fashion, fast, and I shouldn't say maybe fashion, but fast everything or like big everything, as I've mentioned before, in terms of mindset as well. The, that throwaway culture and buying a T-shirt one season. And since you've used that T-shirt, put some pictures on Instagram with that T-shirt. You can't use it anymore. Like in the second picture, that mindset, we definitely need to change. That's for sure. So we always aim for immortal products through circularity or not. They can live with us. They can have, I mean, we can have memories with 
these jeans or like those products. I remember my first loft jean. I don't know. I mean, it's a Turkish brand. I don't know. Not many people may know like outside Turkey. I remember how I really wanted to buy that. I remember how happy I was when I had that jean and all the things that I lived through uh, when I was wearing that jean on me, it's it's really uh, priceless to me to have those memories. It's, it's really important. Uh, it should be important for people uh, to keep these memories and also the garments with them as long as they can, as long as they can. I can also comment from the manufacturer point of view. It's the same for the concepts that we create, collection by collection. Each and every collection, we need to create some innovation, some newness. That's what, that's what brands are asking from us. And that, to me, is also insane because we are consuming the innovation that we have created in one collection in let's say six months, which is crazy. There is a lot of work behind it, a lot of research behind it. But every time you present something, brands and retailers are asking, oh, so what's new? Nothing is new. There is one concept that we are really supporting and we need to continue to support that concept to really be able to reach a scale in that concept. Then maybe we can think about something new. That's, that's the way how we look into it. So I think for the brands and retailers, they should stop asking what's new. They should find more complex questions, <laughs> I think, to really enhance the system that we are living in together. <laughs> That's a really good advice that, you know, both for me and then people who are listening and watching this interview, I think, um, thank you very much for all this conversation and, uh, and your knowledge and insights for us. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was very inspiring and very thoughtful um, learning, not only for me, but I believe for the people who are watching and listening to this interview with us. And I have three key takeaways that I would like to share um, with people here. One is that the last thing and the first thing that you said was very stick to me. Um, buy your um, clothing, buy your stuff, not to have it for fashion, but to have memories with them and then to keep them as long as possible too, so that you can have, it could be a part of your life, part of your memories. That's like, that's really um, sticks with me. And the second thing, the industrial mindset or the growth mindset, we could say, is one of the key challenges in front of the circular economy because that, that doesn't consider the world and resources as in finite. And then we have to realize that things are not infinite and we, we have to put a limit to our growth ambitions at a certain moment. And also the thing about that you said about um, design and biology, the design impact and the impact of biological production lines, the startups that you mentioned are um, like, seems to be the future of both denim industry and also other industries as well. So it's like really, really helpful and really inspiring. Thank you very much for this conversation. Before we close, um, we have... A few more questions for you. Um, not actually 
questions for you, but we're going to ask you, what would you like to ask the next speaker without knowing who that person is? What would you like to learn from the next speaker about um, circular economy that we could ask them? First of all, thank you very much for the summary. I think that's a very good way of like uh, mentioning the key takeaways from the, the, the whole conversation. Very good. Um, well, my question would be like the pandemic and now the war we're really living in have opened up a rare chance to me to rewrite a new economic order that we've been really discussing so far. How should it be? That's my question to the to the next speaker in this series. <laughs> Thank you. That that that's very curious to learn about that answer too. And we would like one more question from you for the audience. What would you like to learn from the audience who listened to this conversation, who watched this interview? What would you like to ask um, them? I am personally really curious. That's why I selected this question. What would motivate you more to better research about sustainability and consume more responsibly? What would motivate motivate you? Uh, I'm really curious, the, the, the answers. <laughs> Please share them with me. <laughs> In the comment section, or like you know, you can write us, and then we can we can share that with you as well. Thank you. And the final thing: what would be your one statement uh, about how the center impacts the outcome from your perspective or in your industry? Like you know, at the beginning you said. Um, since your actions is in the center of Orta um, and your and the, the center of your decisions also about sustainability as a lifestyle, um, what will be the center and how it would affect the outcome in a, in a general sense? Well, it is essentially a question of design, I believe. So the major decision in our industry is to switch from a, the generative design to a regenerative approach. How are we going to do that? That's the main question. That's that's amazing. Thank you Thank very you much. Thank you for really asking me to do this series. Would you have anything to, as a closing remark before we... I think that's, that's enough. I talk too much. I love talking. <laughs> it's really good to be here with you. I value all of your questions. And if you have, or like if the audience have further questions, you can always contact me or to with Orta. Uh, we would be happy to share our experience or like point of views with you. <laughs> Thank you. Woo! Thank you for listening. This is one of the 10 interviews with passionate circular economy leaders from fashion to food, from cryptocurrencies to architecture. Please subscribe to our podcast channel for the following episodes in the series. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell button to watch these interviews. For more information, visit our website at www.circumcenter.world. See you at the next Circumcenter episode, discovering the center of your decisions.